I don't know about you, but the first time I saw that video, it made me a little uncomfortable. Maybe because, sadly, it hits close to home on an occasional Sunday morning, but also because it provokes some very difficult questions. Questions like, where's my heart today as I come to worship? What's my motive for being here? Questions like, is worship simply about doing our religious duty, or is there something more? Questions like, what difference does faith make in our daily lives? The passage we're going to look at this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is very similar to that video in that Solomon is going to provoke some of those very same questions in us. See, Solomon has been on a journey that we have seen so far in recent weeks. Solomon has been on a journey looking for joy in life. And Solomon pursued joy and all the stuff this world has to offer. Wealth and fame and success and possessions and sex. And Solomon pursued joy even in religion. But Solomon came to discover that in all of these things, joy cannot be found. Because at the end of the day, all of these things apart from God are vanity, Solomon says. Havel, meaningless, a breath, a vapor. Here one minute, gone the next. Today, Solomon is going to highlight for us the vanity of religion. Religion which seeks to pursue a right relationship with God without true heart transformation. Without truly humbling ourselves before God and humbling our hearts before God. Solomon's going to highlight for us the reality that religion apart from a genuine relationship with God is vanity. Our passage this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read our passage for us, and then I want to come back and highlight for us four truths that we see here in Solomon's words this morning. Solomon begins, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are, that they, what, what they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Here in this passage, Solomon highlights for us the vanity. The vanity of religion, the meaninglessness of religion. He begins by declaring to us that worship without obedience 
is vanity. Solomon begins our passage in verse 1 this morning by speaking of the appropriate demeanor we should possess when setting out for worship. In verse 1, Solomon says, guard your steps. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. That could be translated literally as watch yourself. Guard your steps. Check your heart. As those of us who grew up in the 90s would remember from the hip-hop artist Ice Cube, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. See, friends, what Solomon wants us to understand this morning is that genuine and meaningful God-honoring worship begins well before we step in the doors of the church on Sunday mornings. See, true worship Genuine worship begins in our hearts. And genuine and true worship is about God and not about us. And so many people get that backwards. So many people approach church and religion and worship with a consumer mentality that asks, what's in it for me? And so they approach church thinking, wow, I sure hope the worship's good this morning and I hope the worship team's on point and they do some songs that I like and I hope that pastor preaches good this morning and he's not too long and he's not too boring. And if none of that matches up with my desires, well, you know what, maybe I'll just go look for another church that does it better to meet my needs and my wants, and my desires. Solomon says, look it, you got to guard your steps when you go to worship. Check your heart when you go to worship. I have a pastor friend who was sharing a story with me recently uh, about a man in his church, what we'll call him Mac. And Mac was one of these guys who was never happy with what was going on in church. He was never satisfied. In fact, every week this pastor could count on a discouraging comment from Mac whether it was complaining about the worship or complaining about the sermon. You know, pastor, you weren't biblical enough this week. You told too many jokes. Well, next week my buddy goes through the Bible and preaches, you know, a great expositional expositional sermon. Pastor, you know, too much Bible, not enough humor this week. Pastor, I wish you'd tell more stories. And, And one thing or another, something was always wrong with Mac's impression of what was going on at the church. One Sunday after the sermon... As typical, Mac came up to my friend and started to complain once again about the sermon. And my pastor friend just just stopped him and said, Mac, let me ask you a question. How many times did you pray for me this week as I was preparing this morning's message? And Mac just looked at him in stunned silence. And the Holy Spirit convicted his heart right there on the spot. And he just said, Pastor, I'm sorry. See, he began to recognize that for him, worship had been all about his wants and his desires. And he had forgotten that true worship is about what God is doing in our hearts. And are we willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and what he has to share with us when we come into his house for worship? Solomon says, guard your steps. Friends, let me ask you this morning, are you preparing your hearts for worship before you come to church on Sunday mornings? 
Uh, Are you preparing your family's hearts? Are you leading your family into a biblical understanding of what worship is about on Sunday mornings? Do your kids see that modeled in you? Are you praying for me and our staff and the ministries of our church throughout the week? Are you praying as you leave your house on Sunday morning, Lord, bless our time at church today. May we hear from your word. May we worship you faithfully this morning, Lord. Be with our Sunday school teachers and and everyone serving this morning, Lord. May our worship be honoring to you. Friends, is that the posture of your heart as you come to worship? This is why Solomon says, guard your steps. And then Solomon goes on to tell us what our goal should be when we come to worship. After telling us to guard our steps, Solomon goes on in verse 1. He says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Solomon says, draw near to listen. Friends, this should be our goal when we come to church on Sunday mornings. Our highest priority in worship should be to come and listen to the word of God. There's nothing more important, friends, than to hear the word of God proclaimed, read, preached. Remember, what was God's first commandment to the nation of Israel? God's very first commandment to the nation of Israel was, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Why? Because God was going to speak. God, our creator, was going to reveal truth to us. He was going to show us the path that leads to life and life to the full. And friends, there's nothing more important that we do on a Sunday morning than come together to read and to hear from the word of God. That's why we devote the majority of our worship service to the sermon. We don't come simply for for the music and the cool videos and the nice dramas occasionally. We come to hear from the word of God because, friends, there is nothing more important that will happen this morning or any other hour of this week in your life than the opportunity that we have to come and hear from the word of God. Do we believe that? Do we treasure that? Do we prepare our hearts with joy and gratitude and humility on Sunday mornings asking God to speak to us and help us, Lord, to receive with gratitude whatever whatever it is you might have to say to us? Solomon says, draw near to listen. Now, friends, understand this in the Hebrew language. To listen carries the double weight of not only hearing, but also obeying what you hear. See, Solomon doesn't want you to just come to worship on a Sunday morning and hear the word. Hearing is about obeying. They go hand in hand. It's just like Samuel the prophet told King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said to Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen better than the fat of rams. You see, friends, God doesn't simply want our actions. He wants our hearts. 
He doesn't just want our religious devotion and ritual. He wants our hearts to be right before him. And this is why when Solomon goes on to talk about the sacrifice of fools, he says, it's this, he says, to, to, he says to, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Friends, what he's saying here is that worship without obedience is foolishness. To come to worship and to hear the word of God, but to not be transformed, to not obey, is to be a fool. It's vanity. And even more than that, Solomon goes on, he says that it's evil. He says it's evil. Now get this, friends. Did you know that it's possible for us to attend worship on Sunday mornings and actually be committing sin against God? You can come to church on a Sunday morning and be committing sin against God. How is it? How is that? You see, it's a question of our motive, friends. It's a question of the motive of our hearts. This passage should force us to ask ourselves this question. What's my motivation for worshiping? Why am I here this morning? Why do I come to worship? Am I trying to earn special blessings from God? Am I trying to impress others with my spirituality? Am I just doing what a good Christian is supposed to do? You see, friends, if any of these are your motivation for worship, you need to know this morning that God's not at all impressed. In fact, he says you're a fool. You're a fool because the very thing you're doing to try and impress God is actually keeping you far from God. Far from having a right relationship with him. See, Jesus commented on this very same thing. In John 4, 24, Jesus tells us that true worship is about spirit and truth. That is, true worship is about having a right heart before God. We worship the Lord in spirit and that we've humbled our hearts before him. And we worship him in truth when we obey his teachings. That's what it means to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. It's an obedient heart, a listening heart, a receptive heart, a heart that then manifests itself by following God in obedience. Friends, may that be our prayer this morning. Lord, help us not to worship you vainly. But Lord, may we worship you in spirit and in truth with humbled hearts. Solomon next goes on to tell us in verses 2 and 3 that prayer without humility is vanity. Prayer without humility is vanity. Let me read these verses again. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Here in verses 2 through 3, Solomon emphasizes the importance of a humble heart when we approach the Lord. And he does this by highlighting a common error we can fall into when it comes to prayer. And that error is this, praying as if we can manipulate God. 
praying in an attempt to manipulate God. And friends, that's the point of Solomon's proverb that he shares here in verse 3. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Friends, how many of you have ever had a very stressful week at work? You got a project due on Friday and your boss is breathing down your neck. And what happens when you go to bed at night? With much business comes many dreams. You're dreaming about work. You're having nightmares about work. Solomon says, just like dreams are the result of much business, so is the fool's voice. Many words, the result of a foolish heart. Where is the fool's heart? The fool's heart is found in thinking that we can manipulate God in our prayer life. You see, friends, prayer isn't about getting God to bend to our will. It's about us submitting our hearts to his will. And you know, there's a common tendency among many in the church to believe that it's the manner in which we pray that makes the difference when seeking to move the heart of God. And so you'll often encounter people who will pray these lengthy, loquacious prayers, thinking that, you know, it's the abundance of my words that will move God's heart. J. Edwin Orr, the, the famous Baptist scholar and pastor of the 20th century, he used to commend short, concise prayers, especially in public prayer meetings. He, he said in public prayer meetings, in the first three minutes that you pray, the people will pray with you. If you pray on for a second three minutes, they'll start to pray for you. And if you go on and pray for a third three minutes, they're going to start to pray against you. But there are those we've seen, right, who, who it just appears like, man, if I just keep going on and on and on, that somehow that's going to impress God. Or how about the person who, who prays using the, the formal King James English, these and thous and thines. Or, or you have the formulaic, ritualistic kind of prayer. We've seen best-selling books in recent years advocating the Daniel prayer and the prayer of Jabez and praying circles and all these formulaic methods of prayer. And then you have the passionate, emotionally charged prayers. Now, friends, please understand, none of these types of prayers are necessarily bad. I'm not saying that. Okay, they can be if your heart's in the wrong place and your prayer is about showing off to everybody else how spiritual you are, then, then those prayers can be bad. But these prayers aren't necessarily bad. But what you need to understand this morning is that God is ultimately looking for humble hearts. See, it's the attitude of our hearts that God is most concerned with, not the kinds of prayers we pray he wants us to approach him with reverence and humility. Like, like the tax collector Jesus mentions in Luke 18 who beat his breast in the presence of God and said, God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. That's the kind of heart attitude God desires in our prayer life. You see, Solomon says that the key to God-honoring prayer is humility, knowing who God is and who we are in relation to God. That's why Solomon says in verse 2, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Friends, it's not about just short, concise prayers. What he's talking about there is recognizing your place and God's place. 
Like we talked about two weeks ago in Ecclesiastes 3, for every season, for every matter, under heaven, God is sovereign. We are not. And so we humble ourselves before him. As God said to Solomon's father, King David, in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Friends, is that your heart's posture when you approach the Lord in prayer? Trusting that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is God, and he holds your life in his hands, and he's good and faithful and trustworthy. See, friends, the humble heart is a trusting heart and a resting heart. And this will ultimately be reflected in our prayers. This is why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the humbled heart is the heart that says to the Lord, God, here's my request. Friends, there's nothing wrong with bringing your request to the Lord. In fact, the Bible commends us to do that. Bring your prayers, bring your requests, bring your heart's cry to the Lord. But do so in humility, knowing that God's will will be done. And Lord, may I have the faith to trust your will and to submit to your will. And to believe that your will is always right and good. Solomon says prayer without humility is vanity. He goes on thirdly in our passage. He says that a vow without integrity is vanity. Let me read verses 4 through 6. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow. Should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? You know, friends, one of the most common and most overlooked sins among God's people is the sin of broken vows. Promising something to God and then failing to live up to that promise. How many of you have ever had one of those mountaintop spiritual experiences? You go on a retreat, you go to a conference, you go on a mission trip, and the Spirit's moving, and you say, Lord, I, I'm so on fire for you, Lord. When I get home, I'm going to evangelize my whole neighborhood. I'm going to tell all my coworkers about Jesus. I'm, I'm going to get rid of that sin in my life. And a few days go by, and pretty soon those grand promises you made to God sort of just fall to the wayside. Broken vows. One of my great joys as a pastor is to perform the, the child dedications that we do here occasionally on Sunday mornings. We have families that come and they line up on the stage and they dedicate before God and before our church. They make a vow to train up their kids to follow Christ. But you know something, friends? One of the saddest realities of my ministry is thinking back on how many of those families today and not following through with the vow that they made to train up their kids in the ways of the Lord. They let other priorities come into their family's life that take precedence over Jesus. And it's very sad, broken vows. How many of us have ever made financial pledges, 
pledges to God, to the church, pledges to missionaries, pledges to a sponsor child. And yet we fail to follow through with those vows. Maybe the most serious vow of all, the vow of marriage. Sadly, so many couples break their marriage vows. I've done nearly 50 weddings in my 20 years of ministry. And in those marriage ceremonies, I asked the couple standing before me, do you pledge before God and these witnesses to be loyal and faithful to one another until death parts you? And sadly, many of those couples have broken that pledge. They've broken that vow. Now, friends, please understand the reason why God expects us to keep our vows is because he himself is the original promise keeper. Numbers 23, 19, God tells us, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? See, God's a promise keeper. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Friends, when God makes a promise, the answer is always yes. Because God is a promise keeper. And God expects us in the same way to keep our promises. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now friends, look, these aren't just empty words. This is serious business to the Lord. This is why Solomon says in verse 6, why should God be angry at the work at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Solomon says, look, it's better that you don't even vow in the first place if you have no intention of keeping your vows. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute here, Pastor Jason. What are you saying? Are you saying that God could get angry at me? For breaking my vows? God might judge me? That, oh, that's not the God I believe in. Friends, you got the wrong God then. Because God tells us that he will discipline those he loves. Jesus says in Revelation 3, verse 19, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. The book of Hebrews says the same thing. The book of James says the same thing. God disciplines those he loves. See, friends, it's possible to fall under God's judgment. And one of the ways we can do that is by breaking our vows before the Lord. I remember a few years ago, I had a friend who had walked away from his wife, walked away from his kids, and it was amazing. I kid you not, it was almost like a tractor beam just sucked all of God's blessings out of that man's life. Suddenly, he began to struggle in his work. He fell into financial hardship. All of his relationships around him were falling apart. He was absolutely miserable. And I said to my friend, look at, friends, look at, we have to be humble in what we declare as God's judgment on another person's life. 
but we also have to be honest about the fact that God says in his love, sometimes he will judge us to bring us back into repentance. And so I lovingly shared that truth with my friend. I said, you need to repent. You need to turn back to the Lord. See, friends, if we're serious about honoring God with our vows, we're going to be prayerful about the vows we make, we'll be intentional about keeping the vows we make, and we'll be quick to repent over the vows we break. Now, here's the thing. If you're like me this morning, and verses like these make you a little uncomfortable because you've broken your share of vows in your life, look at I know every single one of us here feels the weightiness, the conviction of this passage. But we also need to remember, friends, that God's in the business of restoring vow breakers. God and his amazing grace can transform even the heart, most hardened heart of the most sorry vow breaker. Remember the story of the apostle Peter. On the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Jesus told his disciples, you will all fall away. What did Peter say? Oh, no, Lord, I promise I will never fall away. And Jesus said again to Peter, before the rooster crows, Peter, three times I tell you, you will deny me. And what did Peter say? Jesus, I will never deny you. Even if I have to follow you to my death, I will never deny you. And yet the rooster crowed. Three times Peter denied Jesus. But remember, friends, who did Peter, who did Jesus seek out after his resurrection? He sought out Peter. And he sought out Peter to re- restore him, to forgive him, to put him back on a path to faithfulness and ministry. See, friends, no one is too far gone if you're willing to humble your heart before the Lord. Lastly, this morning. Solomon highlights this important truth. Religion without Jesus is vanity. Verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Solomon sums up our entire passage this morning by restating his proverb from verse 3. And his point here is simply this. Putting your hope in religion to earn favor with God is foolishness. It's vanity. It's meaningless. And in place of the vanity of religion, Solomon tells us to put our hope in the one source that can lead to true joy in life. Solomon says, but God is the one you must fear. Friends, understand this this morning, that when the Old Testament talks about the fear of God, it is the equivalent of what we speak of in the New Testament as faith or belief. Fear of God equals faith or belief. How do we know that? Well, you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. God tested Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And what does Genesis tell us? Abraham feared God. And so he obeyed. And then God delivered his son Isaac. But Hebrews 11, referring to that very same story, tells us by faith, Abraham obeyed God. So fear in God and faith in God are the exact same things. And you see, friends, what Solomon wants us to recognize today is that it is only by fearing God, by putting our faith in God, that you can truly experience the fullness of life you were made for. See, Solomon's been on this journey looking for joy. 
and he hasn't found it in anything in this world. But what he does tell us is that the destination on the journey to joy is found in a relationship with God, fearing God. And that's why Jesus came into the world, to do for us what, he could, what we could never do through religion, just like we talked about earlier in communion today. See, friends, if your hope is in religion today, God says that's foolishness. Religion alone is vanity. It can't do anything for you. But the good news of the gospel is this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Friends, that's good news. God has made a way through the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something this morning. When you understand this truth, the good news of the gospel, it will revolutionize your experience of worship. It will revolutionize your relationship with God. Because in the gospel, we find a basis for true joy in life, true passion in life, and a reason to honor God with a lifestyle of worship. Not only on Sunday mornings, but on every morning and every hour of the day because we recognize what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are no longer slaves to religion, but we can know the true joy of walking in faith in a relationship with our creator through Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from King Solomon. And even though they might be hard for some of us to hear, Lord, they ultimately drive us to this point of hope where it is found in fearing you, putting our faith in you, which leads to true joy in life. Lord, none of us could ever live up to the standards of religion, but because of your great love for us, you sent Jesus into this world to be the fulfillment of all the religious requirements that you laid on us. And through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, through his gift and our faith and hope in him, we can walk in newness of life and in the joy of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for that great promise, for that good news. Lord, may every one of us leave here today with joy and gladness in our hearts, knowing that we have received new life in the gospel. I pray that there's nobody here who hasn't put their hope in that great message, in that good news. May we all know with great joy and gladness a lifestyle of worship that comes in walking with Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, please rise for our benediction this morning. This comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. And now let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. May God bless you this week. Amen.